Welcome to The Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we welcome two people from Canon Design to our podcast. Cofield King, a senior associate at the Canon Design Lighting Studio, and Ernesto Pacheco, the director of visualization for all of Canon Design. Today, we might talk a little bit about design, but what we're really gonna talk more about are the tools that we use in design, how visualization is something that's super important, how we work in a 2D plane a lot of the time, but we're building a 3D space, and the fact that we don't maybe have to work in a 2D plane as much anymore as we think. There's things out there, everybody's heard it, VR, AR, XR. There's billions of dollars being dumped into this technology in an industry that has absolutely nothing to do with us. It's known as the video game industry, but it's got an incredible parallel into the architectural industry. The capabilities that have been developed for the gamers are mainstream. People are using them every day, and there's absolutely no reason we can't use them in the architectural lighting industry. Cofield, Ernesto, welcome to the podcast. How are you both doing? Great. Doing good. Yeah. Thanks for joining us here in Denver to talk a little bit more about something that I know you're both extremely passionate about. And uh, putting it lightly, I have quite a good amount of experience in at this point and have not only been able to play with it and dabble with it, but use it and see how it can benefit everything that you do when it comes to that design process from start all the way through to coordination and finish. We're going to get in today and talk a little bit more about what's happening in terms of the tools that are taking visualization to the next level. But before we do that, tell everybody, who are you both, and how did you get your start in architecture and lighting? Hello, uh, my name is Ernesto Pacheco. I'm uh, the Director of Visualization at Canon Design. I have uh, over 20 years of experience in the visualization field. Uh, I have seen pretty much every render engine, um, you know, since, you know, the the 90s. So (laughs) Um, experimented with a lot of them, and I'm super passionate about real-time rendering uh, nowadays, um, driving what we do at Canon Design. Uh, collaboration is an important matter that comes to you know my, my, my mind when it comes to uh, design uh, and also just uh, trying to communicate uh, our design intent to our clients uh, the best way possible. Hi, I'm Cofield King, uh, Senior Lighting Designer with Canon Design Lighting Studio. I was supposed to be an architect, went to school for it, but um, got a little sidetracked making video games and uh, then that kind of led into lighting. So I was in architecture around nine years and been in lighting since about 2010. And it's just always been a goal to try to get the two industries to meet, the video games and the architecture, and be able to play something that I really like. So made indie games and it's always been, for the first 20 years was a little difficult and hard to get the architecture to come in, but then it's really exciting now that we're actually finally getting there. You just said something super interesting. It's about playing with the two things together. We're sitting here talking about a massive profession with billions of dollars that are flowing through it every year. And I don't know how many people come to work and say they just want to play with it, especially when it comes to design. I think there's a design charrette. If they still do those, they still those? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely, right? Do charrettes, pin stuff up on the wall, uh, or maybe you're not pinning on the wall anymore. You're looking at screens, or maybe you're all throwing a headset on of some sorts. As we look at uh, lighting specifically, there's so much that you have to quantify, right? From the quality of light to glare to understanding how it interacts with the space to understanding how people can interact with it in a space. Why wouldn't we use a 3D platform? It's kind of an obvious answer to well, maybe not. Maybe not not quite. Question, so the, but. all those characteristics that you're talking about, 
you know, historically don't show up correctly in the architectural rendering that is the approved rendering to the client. So what we've been able to do in the past is we would get these renderings out that use certain techniques of lighting the scene and we would have to mark those up as lighting designers and be like, oh, well that, you can't fake that. You got to take this over here. This should be brighter, you know, and explain to the renderer what they needed to do so that we didn't get in trouble when it came time to build it. And it's impossible to build because there was a lot of magic light in the scene. And so where we're getting to now is we can actually just, as the lighting designers, you know, manipulate those things ourselves and not have to do a markup and go back and forth and be like, real time, move it there, move this there. And I know a product that can do that for you as opposed to just a magic light in the program. You're talking about visualizations and being held to what is put out there. Seeing is believing, right? When a client says, oh, I love that. You chase it, right? You chase you chase the vision, the design intent, and obviously before it's built, and it's, it's fake, it's rendered. But I shouldn't say it's fake because renderings have become a lot more realistic. There's a term uh, known as photorealistic mm-hmm. versus like straight up real versus rendering. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about the differences and maybe the levels of visualization and rendering. I think that, you know, it's important to separate the two different um, ways we can see visualization in the architectural space. Um, you know, as Cofield was describing, when it's more scientific, you have to be more careful, more accurate. And then you have the artistic side of things, right? Like when you really don't care about uh, simulation of lighting, it's more about, you know, the feeling and, you know, how, you know, this image is making somebody feel, you know, how, how, they, how excited they are about their project and if... If there is any, um, I guess, need to explore other intents on the on the design that is happening. So, uh, when it comes to simulation, it's a little bit more difficult, just because we really don't have. This is still in the works. I, I cannot say right now that we can simulate a hundred percent to, you know, reality how lighting behaves. You you can get really really close, but even then, you have to kind of like uh, tweak it, so to speak. So when we look at visualization, you can render it or you can like truly create something that is a representation of what it'll look like if you're standing at that fixed point in the space. Simulation takes it a step further, right? It's the time factor, or as you said, the real time factor, whether it's being able to fly through a space or let somebody stand in it virtually and see that. When you think about what light is and what we really need to model Cofield, talk to me just a little bit more about all those inherent characteristics that are important to get right. So for the designer, the lighting designer, it's almost a confidence level in what's being finally shown. It's not necessarily it has to be all 100% correct. If it is, that's amazing. But it's a how close is it and am I confident that I can get products for the budget that can make that happen? Right. So giant luminous surfaces are one click, you know, today that's very easy to do. And then the reality of what that means in terms of detailing and all the other pieces that come with getting that built. I think that's where we're at with the visualization to give us, like I said, the confidence that, yes, I can actually make this happen versus seeing something, you know, where it's just I think the sun's on the wrong side of the building. You're never going to have those kind of shadows coming through. And we that's like, you know, you're off your game. You can't fix it. So it's still a fine line between realism and simulation and that, but it's it's just where we're coming to now that we can actually have it be rational. So it's not necessarily about creating literally the perfect scene or moment. It's about getting it to a point where you know it can be a useful tool that, again, it's it's a tool. 
right? It's something that you're using to support cardinal knowledge, human factors, complex understanding of light, and the fact that there's a technical nature and an aesthetic nature to it that have to go together. Also, the confidence that it's going to look good. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, it comes down to it's still got to be beautiful. And I'm not trying to say, you know, get rid of the fluffy effects and all that. It still needs to be nice. And people need to understand that if you graze the vertical surface, it's going to do a lot more for you than if you put a studio light in the center of the room. And so it's even better now when we're working with the visualization people and being like, look, if we put it right here like this, it's going to look better. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, let's do that. And so it's it's even better than just like, you must make it accurate. You know, it's a better relationship. Understood. So it's really about that tool creating the experience you need. Ernesto, when you look at visualization software as a whole and where we're at today, you know, Cofield's describing a, a certain instance of just essentially doing a virtual mock-up in real time. And instead of maybe just like using a portion of it, doing that in the entire space, mm-hmm. where are we at in the visualization world of being able to find technology and utilize it to make that happen. Sure, uh, I think that we're there. We we can definitely you know bring in any type of geometry into the software, um, complex geometry. And you know when when I talk about these type of uh, situations, you also have to think about mat- materiality, shaders. Um, you need to take that into account. Uh, you know the lighting is going to react to how you set up your space. So again, going back to making the difference between simulation and something that is more artistic. Uh, when we see visualization from the art side of things, you tend to rely on your photography background. You tend to cheat a lot, <laughs> you know, throw in some fill lights here and there uh, to make it pop, right? Like that's what we want. We want to wall the client or we want to inspire them to believe the space is what they really are looking for, right? We're trying to sell uh, a design to them. Uh, and software is, is right now, you know, especially with real-time rendering, you can pretty much bringing all of this together, you know? Uh, you can have a simulation on the same model, you can have an artistic take on the same model, uh, no problem. Uh, you can go into VR if you want to do that. You can quickly do uh, animation and, you know, still rendering and 360 panoramas with the same model. So software-wise and hardware-wise, I think that we are like there. Uh, then, um, you know, NVIDIA and other companies like Epic Games continue to, you know, explore uh, new terrains and, you know, new frontiers, I guess, when it comes to, uh, I guess, the file formats that we use, you know, we tend to have conversations about how we can combine all the tools that we use on a daily basis without any issues. You know, you want to translate a piece of geometry from Revit to Rhino, vice versa, uh, and you want to contain and remain um, true to the object, right? Uh, so when it comes to that, uh, we're looking at software like Omniverse, for instance, from uh, NVIDIA, where you can actually export the same model from one uh, piece of uh, software and then just have it react uh, the same in one single space. Um, so yeah, I think that we are pretty much there when it comes to software and, and hardware. So the software and the hardware, they're there. It's something that you can use, whether it's either looking at a screen or having a headset on are two completely different experiences. Cofield, talk to me a little bit about the benefits of being able to be fully immersed in a VR environment versus still just working off a traditional computer screen. If we're just on the regular screen in a screen sharing, your regular Zoom meeting, what we're talking about with these new softwares, when I screen share that with our lighting studio, it was like, whoa. Everybody's just like, what? What did you just do? And I was like, yeah, guys, this is what we're working on. This is going to be it, you know? And so it's without even having to get into the headset, which... We could, 
it was already like, wait, 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 hold up. How do we do that? We, we want to do this. Can we have this on our, every, can we all do this now? <laughs> and that was fantastic. Yeah. And so even just getting where we were talking about with the software and, and where we're at is, is pretty amazing. And then if we take that into the next step of putting on the goggles, that gets a little more interesting. I think that it's a different level of, you know, how some people are really can take that on quickly and navigate easily. And some people have more trouble with it. And even in our office, it was it's not an age thing or a person type that you can guess, right? I mean, we put in one of our oldest lab planners and he put the goggles on and he got into Archeo and he was just designing. And I was like, I would never expected this guy to be so good. Same with my dad. He loves the goggles and he loves doing stuff in there. But, you know, my mom can't do it. Some of the other people in the office just were like, oh, it just makes me my head spin, let's just look at it on your screen. So I think it has a lot of benefits and it's really amazing and can help with lighting design, but it's a different for different people. And just so we're clear, you're not using these tools to just simply look at things. Like it's a design tool. Talk to me a little bit more about how visualization isn't just a way to present things, but it actively uses as a, as a design tool in real time. Uh, so right now we have a couple of tools that we use for collaboration. One of the uh, partners that we have right now is called Archeo. It's an Icelandic uh, company. Um, they, they are really small, but they, they have a tool that is finally cross-platform, and that's a big deal. Uh, because when you think about you know the limitations that you put in front of clients or any anybody in, in any office is, how are you going to jump into these spaces, right? How are you going to participate? Uh, you want to be inclusive. So... Having something that is cross-platform that you can use on any, you know, operating system, iOS, Android, uh, or even without the headset, you know, you might want to use your laptop, like Coffee was mentioning. Some people get really sick <laughs> when, when they jump in and, and use the, the headset. It's a big deal, right? Like, that, that matters. Uh, so making sure that you have uh, something that is friendly, uh, easy to use, uh, it doesn't bug down your systems. That's fantastic. And so we have been using Archeo to collaborate. You come together in a, in a multi-user uh, environment. You can have over, over 20 people uh, in the same space. Uh, you come in with a, a bunch of tools that you can design with, or you can bring in your uh, model from Revit or Rhino or any DCC app that you use uh, for design work and then have conversations. They can, then you can take some artifacts um, you know, outside this space. You can take photographs. Uh, you can actually export if you end up 3D modeling within the the environment. So it's it's pretty cool. And and when you see it happening, you know, it kind of like makes you smile. Uh, it, you know, you have this new way to communicate, especially now with COVID restrictions. That's something that we have been, you know, pitching our clients with. Hey, we know how to do this without having to be in the same space. We can actually have uh, a social relationship uh, in, in the metaverse, so to speak. You know, at <laughs> uh, the beginning of the metaverse. Um, and, you know, have uh, interesting conversations, you know, uh, expedite some of the decisions that you're making uh, and also, you know, have fun because you know, at, at the end of the day, if it's not fun, it's not going to really, um, you know, stick. I mean, Cofield, you said earlier, we're playing, right? We're playing with light, playing with video games, we're playing with tools, but you're designing with light at a very high level for sophisticated spaces. When you look at these tools and what they can do, Talk to me a little bit more about how it really is playing. And that's kind of the essence of design, right? Is investigating and tweaking and learning about how this all goes together. I think that there's different times where it's more playful and, and less tedious. You know, there's still going to be those times where, yes, you still have to make these thousand clicks on a mouse to get to where you need to be. But 
That's okay. I, it's a thousand and one when I break down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For Arkeo, when everybody jumps in, it starts out kind of crazy, right? It's like, whoa, and what's this? And oh, oh, look, I can stick a tree on the side of your building. Oh, ooh. And then after like five minutes or so, you start to realize, oh, well, he's making a thing over there and I can actually, oh, I can grab a piece of it and I can change this and I can do that. And then it kind of settles down and people can have a design charrette, you know? And so, yeah, there it's, it's still fun and you had a little bit of playfulness, but now you're like, now I can use this thing. Let's do it. And then there's another piece where, you know, maybe the person who is driving is playing, but they are doing, the game is to impress the client, right? So if you turn certain people loose and certain types of walkthroughs, they're going to just run into walls and it's not going to go well. But if you have someone who's basically your in-game pilot that can get to what everybody wants to see as they say it. So as the architect says, well, you know, but on that other wall where we have the feature and you seamlessly spin and you're there and then they talk about something else or the client wants to see something. And if you can drive that, you know, real-time view and make the changes without getting stuck or lagging or causing problems, then it's like, an interactive experience that they feel they have ownership over, but I'm playing because I'm just trying to basically, you know, a maze runner game or something like that, where I'm trying to hit all the pieces that they want to see in a certain order. And if I do, I win the grand prize. Winning the grand prize is, uh, it's always fun. Finishing across the finish line first always makes yeah. you feel good, whether or not it's Mario Kart or, you know, a, visual, yeah. <laughs> a visualization platform that helps it gets you, competitive. That helps you do your job. <laughs> when you look at what's going on today, this tool, I imagine, you mentioned the design shred experience. It can be implemented at every stage. Talk to me a little bit about the value of the different stages of design and how visualization makes an impact for the better. Well, you know, at the beginning of the project, always, you know, you, you have more fun just because it's a little bit more fluid. Uh, so you tend to, you know, use a lot of tools to to get to a point. Uh, maybe you want to pitch an idea and create some uh, pretty pictures, but also, uh, especially nowadays, again, uh, you want to communicate that you can come together uh, without any restrictions, right? Um, so at the beginning of the project, I think that uh, what we tend to explore is uh, location, uh, making sure that uh, you can bring in the, you know, the data, um, that being the terrain or whatever you're uh, dealing with. Uh, and so you need to have ways to bring in all of this uh, information into the space, right? That has to be easy, easy to use, easy to get in. You don't have too much time. Usually it's uh, quick burns, you know, and sometimes we only have one day, one night. Uh, we get a call and it's like, hey, we, we have this project. We need to quickly generate something that will speak to, you know, this idea. Uh, so you need to make sure that it's something that you can just pick up and go. That's how I see it from my perspective and, you know, when it comes to visualization. Uh, then you have other requirements, you know, especially if you're, you know, having a lot of uh, design meetings with clients, uh, especially when it comes to finishes, lighting. Uh, we tend to use Twinmotion for that. Uh, th that doesn't Epic Games uh, suffer. Uh, it tends to expedite a lot of the conversations that, you know, you can have because, uh, again, like Caulfield was uh, saying, uh, you can sit down, you know, share your screen and basically tweak things on the fly. And clients will be like, "Whoa, how do you how do you do that? You know, like, <laughs> what are you doing on this end?" Uh, and it's a good thing, right? Like uh, they they decide to you know change their minds a, co a couple of times, and you have a time um, time to react uh, on the same call. You don't have to wait for the computer to generate the view anymore. You know, they can actually see it happening in real time, uh, and that's when the clients, you know, the the little spark, you know, happens. It's like, okay, I get it. 
uh, and, and that makes makes Canon Design, you know, more valuable. I see, like, they tend to think of Canon Design as um, a company that can actually um, um, generate things uh, quickly and, and listen to the clients. When you talk about that whoa moment, Cofield, I know that you've probably seen this happen a couple times. Is that doing a little bit of helping your client become more engaged in the design process? Is it helping you be, become a better designer? What do you feel like that wow moment does for you as a member of your lighting studio? I mean, usually it's a team effort, right? So it wasn't just that the lighting changed, but if you can get the material out, if you can get the whole scene to come together and if interiors had a concept and lighting had a concept and then you can show the concept instead of arguing over, oh, well, that's a little too green or it's a little too blue and maybe the light's off. But it's just like, no, 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 here's the concept and let's look at concept two and then fade between those two. And then, yeah, we have multiple concepts and maybe I like this one better than that one, but I'm just a designer, so I'm okay with that. And so then if you can have that kind of conversation and get the client excited about the different concepts and how you can blend them together and then do it right then and there, that's when they're like, can be like, whoa, okay, I can actually make a decision and my decision affects the image that I understand on the screen and then they buy in. So I think we do a lot of user group meetings. I mean, just endless user group meetings and there's so many people at so many different levels. It's not someone who always sees architectural renderings. We're talking, you know, nurses and administrators and donors and things like that. And so the level of wow comes in at different places depending on who you're presenting to. I mean, if it's a very sophisticated client who builds buildings every day, it's harder. But if it's a user group of somewhat, you know, kind of regular people who just want their space to be better, that can really, they can, they get really excited. A lot of people build a building once. Few people build a building twice. And there's really only a handful of people that build a building every single day, all the time. I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, We'll dive into that first group of people a little bit more, the people who only build a building once. It's a unique experience and it comes and goes for them. But for you in the designer shoes, you do it every single day. This tool is allowing you to touch so many more lives, to create so many more positive experiences and elevate design as a profession. Sound good to you? Sounds good. Yeah. Great. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, the Light Pod is brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. They bring you things like this podcast and short, fun, informative videos to not only learn, but celebrate about lighting. Check them out at lytei.com. And welcome back. Over the break, Cofield, Ernesto, and I were catching up just a little bit more. They took the chance to remind me that it's not necessarily true that everybody only builds a building once, rather every space is always different. Whether or not it's the people that are gonna use it, whether or not it's the physical location, whether or not maybe it's just the codes and standards in that specific jurisdiction. Ultimately though, every space is singular. No two spaces are ever the same. In the current era, it's just a supply chain thing. We can't get what we've been using, so we need to change something like that. To put it point blank and simple, there's always a moving variable. So the faster that we can drive people to a collaborative mindset, to a place where they understand what it is as a designer, or as a design group, the better off 
you can be. Talk to me just a little bit more about the collaborative nature of visualization, VR, real-time environments, mock-ups, so on and so forth, and how that really is something that is not only being utilized, but is something that you have seen success with. Yeah, so at Canon Design, we really don't force any designer to focus on a specific tool. Uh, we tend to let them, you know, thrive. You know, we want, we really want them to focus on their craft. Uh, but that comes with some issues, some uh, barriers that you have to break through, right? Uh, we are not there when it comes to interoperability. You know, we deal with a lot of file formats. If you use Revit, if you use Rhino, 3ds Max, SketchUp, um, you have to export this data to be utilized for visualization or, you know, documents, construction documents. This is something that, you know, has been definitely um, a conversation, you know, at the top of uh, our queue uh, when, he, when we get together with other business leaders. Uh, they have the same hiccups and headaches. Uh, IT will, you know, call you <laughs> and tell you, remind you that your storage is about to go over capacity because you have to export several times to different file formats just to communicate that piece, that geometry to another um, software, you know, to continue work. Uh, so breaking that is definitely going to change the industry. And that's what, when we see, you know, real-time visualization, you know, it's, it's kind of there trying to do that. Uh, you know, Epic Games has Datasmith, uh, which is a plugin that they use to um, export geometry and data to Twinmotion or Unreal Engine. Uh, it's a one-way solution right now, but you can basically collaborate through there. Twinmotion is the, the most friendly when it comes to collaboration, especially if you're working on big projects like animation projects. Uh, we have had teams coming together from uh, all over all, all over the country to collaborate on one project in specific without having to think about you know what tool they're using. Right? Somebody can be in Rhino, somebody can be in SketchUp, Revit. You come all together in one space. Then we have. Uh, NVIDIA Omniverse, uh, something that we have been testing heavily. Cofield actually was part of the POC uh, last week to trying to inform, you know, the hardware that we need, all the power that we need to run this, uh, this new uh, environment. Uh, Omniverse uh, brings the promise of true interoperability to the architectural field, you know, engineering and construction. They have figured out that, you know, going open source is the way to go. Um, you know, they are using the USD for, uh, file format, uh, which was, by the way, uh, invented, invented by uh, Pixar to solve the same issue. You know, they were having artists creating in different platforms, 3ds Max, Maya, Softimage, um, you name it. You know, they have so many applications uh, to create the, the movies that they were putting together. So uh, computer scientists came up with the idea of standardizing this and, and making it less of a, a headache. Uh, so now the architectural field is is jumping into this and seeing the promise of this collaboration, you know, between different uh, platforms. And I mean, honestly, I mean, like, <laughs> Cofield and I were uh, playing with it and it was like, our eyes just like went wide open when we actually saw things changing in real time. He was in Boston, I was in St. Louis, and we have Ricardo Orfila in Baltimore uh, jumping in the same space, you know, different applications and we will say, okay, change this color or change this light and you will see it changing in real time without really having to do much to it, right? Like, what do you think of it? It was fantastic. I mean, it's really hard to explain to people who aren't into it how amazing it was. So if you can imagine, instead of working alone in your silo and then sending it off or getting an update, which is like we have to do, you know, Revit transfers or you get an export and then you take it into AGI and you light it and then you send them back a CAD drawing 
that then they have to bring into Revit and then that they can place their 3D. And like, that's just a ridiculous waste of time. And so when you see it actually work, where I can put in a light, change the IS file, while Ricardo is editing the geometry in Rhino and Ernesto is calling shots in St. Louis and it's happening with no lag, no latency, basically, maybe a second or two. But it was so fast. Yeah. It's as if there's a coffee cup sitting in front of you, Cofield, right? It's as if somebody was grinding the beans, somebody was grabbing the almond milk, another person was brewing it and pointing to the cup while you were drinking it in real time. And you're like, God, I wonder what 2% would would taste like and in real time the two percent milk came up <laughs> and then you're like man i just really you know wish i had more of a dark colombian roast and then in real time it was adjusted you didn't have to throw that cup of coffee away and start the whole process over you're putting in inputs in real time you're getting the outputs in, in real time what is it doing it's saving you time and it's making it a better design because you don't have to guess at what the other person's doing you know it's not like you get the expert from the engineer over here and then you're like well I wonder if that's the way it is because they meant it that way or if they just didn't get to it. You know, there's not a good track of thought there. And so when everybody's in it and you can just see it move and then it's like hovers over there for a second and then comes back and like, oh, yeah, okay, here. And it's like, oh, well, now I'm sure there's going to be some way we got to figure out to track that when you're not always all in the same model together to figure out who did what. But there's a tree for that. I mean, there's, I won't get into the weeds. There's a way to do that. (laughs) There's a log. You can go read it. Yeah. But I mean... Just the speed and the fact that I don't have to touch Rhino because I'm not very good at Rhino. So (laughs) instead of me being like, hey, Ricardo, I need the next skin and he exports me something and then I have to figure it out. It's just fantastic. Cofield, you're the lighting guy in this conversation. Ernesto has a, a broad scope on visualization. When you think about what you love, what you do every day, and that is designing and playing with light and coming up with solutions to problems in terms of a dark room is no good and a poorly lit room is potentially even worse. You have to find out a right way to light a space. What is the key takeaway for you of the visualization tools that you're utilizing today and how that as a design entity is transforming the way you do your work? It makes it so I don't have to convince the team of the concept. Instead of making boards and presentations and sketches, we can just make it. And if someone's putting in this amazing curved wall and I can be like, oh, I know what you need for that and put it in and they see it and they're like, oh, that looks amazing. And we move on. And it's not a weeks long meeting filled process. We can just design it together. And if it's not perfectly amazing, we can make an option and take both of those to the client. And so it's just so much more collaborative. You said that you don't have to convince anyone of anything. You also said earlier, that it makes it easier because you can just literally iterate through it. You don't have to guess on things and hope that it all works out. The fact that everybody can change things real time, you can experiment with stuff real time, you can use whatever platform you're most comfortable in, Mm -hmm. and it all integrates into this thing real time. And then the person who's writing the check can show up and weigh in, and you don't have to... I mean, humans aren't stupid. We know what we're looking at. Like, show me what I'm getting. Better yet, show me in real time. Better yet, put me in the space. Put some goggles on, right? Mm-hmm. Dab it into it. As we look at all this stuff, the dollar signs in my eyes are going ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. But I know that a lot of this software is open source mm-hmm. and there's no ka-ching to it. Talk to me a little bit about what's the hurdle if it's not necessarily the cost. 
The software that we tend to use uh, nowadays, uh, we're slowly transitioning to open source, uh, but you know we we are big Autodesk users. Um, we obviously have uh, licenses to Adobe products and, and all sorts sorts of things. That said, uh, when it comes to uh, real time rendering, uh, you can easily put together uh, a team, you know, without having to really break the bank. Um, you know, Unreal Engine is free for anybody to use unless you're making things over a million. I don't know what the cap is, but there is there's a cap on if you're making a lot of money out of uh, what you're putting together, right? In our case, you know, we use enterprise licensing for that. We have contracts with them. Uh, but you, if you are a small studio, you don't have to worry about that. You, you can definitely pick these tools today. Uh, install those tools on your machines. Uh, the only, uh, yes, the only restriction will be hardware-wise. Uh, if you want to get really into like for real, uh, real-time rendering, you know, thinking ray tracing, real-time ray tracing, and path tracing, that's when you will need an expensive uh, GPU um, to run this. And what's expensive? I got a four thousand dollar computer sitting in front of me. Is that expensive? Is it $20,000? Uh, no, it depends on what, what you're planning to do. I mean, if you're going high-end, um, you know, Quadro cards from NVIDIA, you're looking at, you know, 10000 you know, depending on what card you're going to get. Uh, but you can usually just use a gaming GPU from NVIDIA or AMD, uh, and you can actually uh, utilize some of this uh, software without any issues. So it's cost prohibitive in the sense that you need a piece of hardware. Yeah. Yeah, but you need that hardware for a lot of other things already. Yeah. It's incremental, right? Yeah, I mean, you're spending things. if you're spending four grand already, maybe you have to spend eight. But if your lighting studio workflow, say you have to spend that four thousand dollars on hardware, but that means you don't have to get into Revit again. So that just cut your Revit licensing by much more than the lifetime of your hardware, right? So that's a pretty easy balance, and that's just with one software. So if you're looking at how you want to build your workflow and how much of that can be open source, I think that you can make a pretty good case for a small studio on how to make that work. Yeah, I mean, nowadays you, you have tools like Blender that's open source, free for anybody to use. It's an amazing 3D app. Uh, you know, we have been introducing uh, Blender for the last couple of months into our you know pipeline, and it's, it's amazing, amazing what you can do with the tool. Uh, but going back to your question, uh, so that's the, the restriction when it comes to you know software, right? You have to think about the hardware, uh, if you have a GPU that can actually drive uh, the high-end visualization processes that you can do with these tools, now the other on the other side you have the the knowledge base. Uh, you know you really don't have a lot of um, I guess skill set, uh, especially within our within our firm. We're kind of slowly training people to you know understand real-time rendering. Uh, it's, it's totally different from you know the old CPU ways of uh, rendering with uh, other applications. So it takes a little bit of um, educating, right? Um, what brings uh, real-time rendering to architects is the fascination of you can just throw anything at it, right? But you will hit a wall at some point. So you have to <laughs> educate people on how to optimize uh, real-time rendering so you can continue to produce without running into headaches again. And because of that, you know, you your resumes don't, don't have to be as, um, I guess, focused. You know, you definitely need to start looking at computer science, you know, pick up a programming language, that being Python, uh, C Sharp, um, because all of these tools, you know, they are open to uh, a programming language or a visual programming, a scripting, visual scripting. In the case of Unreal Engine, uh, Blueprinting, for instance, bl using Blueprints, uh, you can quickly set up a, com a complex uh, interactive solution. Uh, and, and this 
she kind of plays into the gamification of the sign, right? Uh, we're creating games for <laughs> for our clients nowadays, and you know, all of this is with the hopes to, you know, bring that human, uh, I guess, like a muscle memory that you have from interacting with your smartphones and tablets. You know, we are tapping into that little train of thought that you have when you're picking up a mobile game or something just to distract yourself. We actually had a, a nice project out of the St. Louis office uh, a few years ago for a basketball arena in a university, Indiana. We decided to, for the first time, bring this into a VR setting. And this was for a fundraising event, right? So the client approached Count and said, hey, we have this project. Uh, we we want to get like twenty people together, you know. We we need we need money. Yeah, <laughs> go make an experience for yeah. us. And I'm just gonna go on ahead and finish your sentence. You did it. It worked. <laughs> They're like, holy, shit, this is the coolest thing ever. And that was a few years ago. Wait, it, it gets better. We started with an animation. We pitched the VR, and then just because it was a basketball arena, we thought, what if we throw a mini game into the experience? So we decided to allow anybody that will jump into this experience to pick up a basketball and shoot hoops, and and that just, just broke the, it broke it broke the ice during the uh, the fundraising event. Uh, we had actually an athlete come in to actually put on the headset and walk the locker rooms and then shoot hoops in in an arena that wasn't wasn't even was the ground wasn't broken yet. You know? <laughs> he was sitting in a field, sitting yeah. in an empty warehouse, making this all exactly, happen. Exactly. Yeah. So. This is all out there. Why aren't more people using it or talking about it today? It's so hard to get young people out there who have the hardware. They have the computer that can run all of this stuff. They have no interest usually in architecture because they have a strong desire to go into the gaming field. And I've worked with a lot of them and tried to talk them into it. I mean, like, guys, we made a game. If we could just make some viz renderings, we could pay for all this stuff. We could get new gear. And they're like, no, we're not making viz. No. We're making games, you know, and it's like, yeah. <sighs> and then, you know, 10 years later, they're working for viz companies. So it happens, but it is a much bigger pull on the people who have the interest and are paying attention to it to go into making their own games because they can just make them. You know, it's, it's like, oh, I can make my dream and then I can sell it and make a little money maybe. But I think that goes back to what we've talked about off this podcast of what is expected of people who are getting into lighting and architecture to know. And so if what they're expected to know is their traditional softwares we've used or other hand drawing or other techniques, you know, like really what we need to do is get in at the earlier education level and say, listen, these are the kind of things that you should have by the time you get out of school if you want to be the rock star lighting designer. So think about it. And you're talking about people who say, I want to learn more about lighting. It's like, if you want to learn more about lighting, consider a path that also gives you exposure to visualization software, computer programming, things that maybe aren't to your point taught as opposed to hand drawing or learning how to use uh, AGI, dialects, loom tools, like all these other, all the other tools. Not that those tools aren't relevant, but this is just a different school of thought. The bigger thing that you just said too is uh, hello industry that is looking for help. I know you're there. I know you are sitting here listening to this podcast. Not right now, not live. But somebody right now is nodding their head going, yes, I need help. And they're looking for somebody with five to 10 years of experience as a lighting designer. And the answer is go hire somebody who can just change the way you present to your clients so you can repurpose your staff. Right? I mean, go go get an Ernesto. Go get a head of visualization that can teach you all about this stuff. 
invest in in that and watch what happens don't go hire another biz dev or salesperson utilize that collective genius you have and empower it with more okay am i fired up yet yeah yeah i'm fired <laughs> up this is awesome you guys thank you so much for your time i i really appreciate it you're both coming back here whether or not we're gonna sit here and make people listen to the podcast i don't know <laughs> but i will just say that i think vr is huge i think visualization is amazing um, my team at Lidei would love to work with you guys more. Sure. I'm going on the record. We're going to make <laughs> this happen somehow. Like, you know, we got stories to tell. We got environments and experiences to help this industry move in the right steps. You're clearly passionate about it. You clearly are making video games yep. out of selling projects and getting donors to write checks. It's an incredible story. How can anyone get in touch with you if they want to ask you questions, maybe see a demo of what the heck it is you're up to or just learn more about it? Uh, LinkedIn. Uh, just look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, we also have a Vimeo page, Visnet, V-I-Z-N-E-T, uh, of Canon Design. You can see some of the, the work that we have done in the past. How about you, Cofield? The entire Canon Design Lighting Studio is on the website, and I'm pretty sure that all of our contact info is right there. If not, again, yeah, LinkedIn. That works great. And we do have a Canon Design Lighting Studio Instagram if you'd like to follow us. Darn Skippy, I follow it. It's awesome. You guys are... I'll, I'll give you a pass on your activity for, for, your, for your Instagram profile. <laughs> We're getting better. We're working on it. As we, uh, as we do close out today, I, I do just have to ask you both one final question, mm -hmm. and then we'll fade to black. No pun intended. The sun is setting outside. Um, <laughs> where are we going? Is this industry going to adopt this? Forget your crystal ball and just, you know, what's, what's your wish and what's the reality of how much this can make an impact for everyone? This is happening in real time, no pun intended. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it's something that is uh, in the works, has been in the works for many years now. Uh, we are finally seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I, I think that the solutions are there. It's, it's a little bit of a push and, and pull from different players. But yeah, we're looking at metaverse. We're looking at the promise of the metaverse, uh, whatever that will mean in the future. You know, think, um, you know, internet, you know, 2.0, uh, where, where you have networks and you can, you know, bring in any of your assets, uh, no matter what file format you might, you might have. Um, it will have an economy and we're actively exp exploring this within Canon just because we keep hearing these questions from clients, you know, are you prepared for this? What are you doing for that? Uh, and the answer, the answer is yes. We, we are always looking at uh, technology and uh, innovations that we can bring into our design practice. Uh, so we're ex excited about this and it's obviously fun. You know, I'm, I'm enjoying what I do and um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, you know, to be part of this, uh, you know, interest and in, in future. It's very clear to me that you're passionate and happy and, and love what you do. Cofield, how are you going to play with this? I really hope it gets to the point where it's almost a live stream. So, you know, we have these buildings that are being built now and they put a site cam out there and you can watch as the hole is dug and the structure goes up and the building comes together. I want that live stream to move back to day one of SD and you can watch as everybody starts designing and seeing that building come together. And it's not just, you know, me and architecture and whoever's doing some other little piece to it. The structure comes in and you can just have a real time live cam stream of the whole design process. Like that, from blank, empty scene to completed building would be amazing. 
just an opportunity for literally like anyone who knew about that building. It's like they have no read-write permission, but they could log in and in real time in virtual space. Watch something get designed knowing what was actually going to come out of just the ground afterwards. Insane. It'd be wicked yeah. cool. <laughs> Ernesto, Cofield, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Take care of yourself. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Light Pod. If you enjoyed it, do me a favor and click that like, follow, or subscribe button. That's the best way to never miss another episode where we talk to people about all things lighting who have inspirational and thought-provoking conversations to share. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.